I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. cage match for the the bandwidth yeah we're not late gillen we're here oh we're here we're live in the flesh it's monday night i hope everyone's feeling all right snakes and stogies episode 184 we're we're here I'm ugh, I'm struggling, dude. I've been cutting back on monsters. Really? Pretty pretty heavily. I've been trying to. So like the last well, that's good. four or five days, <clears throat> at least past like noon, it's been it's been a little tough. The time change certainly doesn't help. I picked probably the worst time to, to cut back. Yeah, yeah. When it gets dark at four thirty or whatever it is by you. That's the worst. But uh, it was actually weird, man. It was like cool and drizzly today. It was weird. I mean, cool for us is 70, you know. But uh, it was a nice change, even though it was kind of depressing. So but it's good. It stopped raining. We're here. I got no clouds. It's good stuff, man. So what are you smoking this evening, sir? Uh oh, is he frozen? Am I frozen? Is the world frozen? Smithy is muted, but I think his lips are moving. Dum dum dum. There he is. I am mute. Where my thing. Be? My my. My connection looks like it keeps going in and out. So, you want to Marco Polo it real quick? Marco Polo, yeah. See, it was quick then, but I know it'll, yeah. I've also noticed sometimes when I think it's going to be a really bad connection, when I listen back after the fact, it's crystal clear. So, it only like looks laggy to us, I guess. I don't know, yeah. I don't, it's, I'm, I'm over it. My inner. Oh, he's frozen. Oh, there he's back. Marco. Marco Marco Polo something. This is going to be a good show. I can feel it. Can you do the sponsor stuff? I'm going to restart my modem. So tonight, Snakes and Stogies. Welcome everyone in the group chat. Michael Gillen, Billy Jenkins, Robert, Randy, Dylan. Man, the whole crew is here. Um forgive me for diverting my eyes off camera i'm trying to send smitty pictures for tonight's topic um and of course facebook and Streamyard don't want to communicate the best as always as smitty alluded to earlier um but yeah tonight herpetoculture network brings you snakes and stogies episode 184 uh 
Tonight's show is brought to you by some wonderful sponsors. I know Smitty normally does the sponsors. I try to do my best when sponsorship repping. But our first sponsor this evening is Puget Sound Pythons, the Gendra, the fine people of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, check them out on Morph Market, on Facebook, on Instagram. They're good people. They're good people with some cool animals. They do a hell of a show. If you're in the Pacific Northwest and you check out a reptile, a reptile-related event by you, I'm sure they'll be there. Puget Sound Python, check them out. Uh, we're also sponsored by BlackBoxCages.com. If you need a rack, if you need a cage, if you need an enclosure of sorts, go to BlackBoxCages.com. Check him out. I own them. Smitty owns them. Bill, Chris, Billy, Jake, everybody in the crew has Black Box and they're amazing they're they're the best cages out there right now we all have a a need for a glass enclosure whether it be exoterra or zoomed or zilla or homemade stuff but when you want something that's stackable you want something that's a little more versatile or has slightly different ventilation or slightly different lighting setups go to blackboxcages.com if you want a rack system, if, if you want rack systems with different size drawers or different size heating elements or different types of heating elements or even locking sliders like myself for Venomous, check out blackboxcages.com. Uh, also, if you get a chance, go to Fulvius Apparel. Fulvius Apparel, I'm wearing my subocularis hat right now. Check them out. Smitty owns it. He makes a hell of a product. Shirts, hats, hoodies in the near future, I'm sure. Um, but super cool, unique designs that no other herp-related media really can offer. Cool, eclectic color palettes, very unique patterns and stylings, every size. Uh, if you want international, hit up Smitty because it's not available on the website right now, but I'm sure he'll make exceptions for certain individuals as long as you're not in France, inside joke. And cold-blooded caffeine. We are going to have our announcement for our project with cold-blooded caffeine in the near future probably next week don't hold me to it um we're still working out some bugs and getting all of our ducks in a row but if you want to have some really cool coffee some good dare i say effervescent aromatic bean juice check out cold-blooded caffeine um all the coffee that they get comes from areas that is being preserved for herpetoculture as well as preservation of the animals that live there so check them out cold-blooded caffeine um i i did the sponsors and it was kind of off the cuff i wasn't expecting it but uh here we are you're back and you're crystal clear let's hear some audio hargray can piss off check who, who, check 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 who, who my can... internet my internet provider ah okay okay fair enough fair enough well we're glad to hear you back Puget Sound Pythons, BlackBoxCages.com, Fulvius Apparel, and Cold Caffeine. Check them all out. The Four Brand, Amigos. The Four Amigos. Brandon Valentine in the house. Ayo, boyos. <sighs> what are you smoking tonight, Bubba? Uh, Adobe. Nika Rustica Adobe from Drew Estate. The 6x60. So I got, I, I smoked one of these uh, over the weekend. And I was like, you know, that's a, that's a good size for this blend, typically. The Toro is kind of where it's at, but these are these are solid, so I grab one, and uh, I got a Toro as the backup. 
Excellent. But if you're going to keep yawning, Bubba, we're going to have to get you that monster. I'm, look, I got one. I'm working on it. I'm waiting on it to, to kick in. So It's good. It's good. It's been... Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like the entire month of October and most of this this month so far, which it's crazy that this month is halfway over already because I feel like we it just started yesterday. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, I don't know if it's the time change or what. It is. It's got to be. It's been just like a crawl to the finish line most weeks it's <laughs> works yeah. absolutely insane yeah people yeah. people want their shirts so it's good oh. busy is good even though it is tiring it's freaking gangbusters it's nuts well tonight i'm smoking a very special i mean i'm having a cigarette right now as people can see but i'm smoking a very special treat so my co-worker's wife is dominican uh, she's actually from the Dominican Republic, and about once a year, she takes the kids down there for like a week to visit family and whatnot. And this time, I guess, so the new trend where she is, uh, where her family is, are these little tiny cigarellos. Oh, wow. Those are tiny. They're super tiny. They come in this little, to my Lord. face for scale. It's, it's basically yeah. like a cigarette, but it comes in its own little cedar box. And it says, Eco Amano, Republic Dominica, uh, Natural Tobacco Dominicano. And it, I say it like that because it's spelled very bizarrely. Um, M and B cigars. Hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna try one of these. I imagine they're gonna smoke pretty quick. So I'll probably. I was just gonna say it looks like a like a wisp of hair. Like as soon as yeah, you touch it with yeah. a light, it's just gonna. And just <laughs> well, it reminds me of uh, I think I told the story on here of there was a convenience store that was owned by uh, a lovely Pakistani cup, uh, a Pakistani family, a husband, wife, kids, and the brother in law. They all worked there and it was next door to underground. So when I worked at underground many moons ago, I would go in the convenience store twice a day, you know, buying cigarettes, buying right. soda, whatever. It's a convenience store, it's convenient, right. And, and they, were, they were wonderful people. And the one guy, Abraham, who, dude, the hardest working guy I've ever met. You know, he had three kids in college, all trying to get doctorates. He worked like th he worked at like three different gas stations and he helped run the family store. Like the dude was awesome. Hopefully he's still kicking it around Deerfield Beach, Florida. But Abraham was like, oh, man, you have to you have to try the, the, the Pakistani cigarette. It's 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 the best cigarette. And. I was like, I'll try them. And, dude, this was literally a tobacco leaf rolled up and held together with twine. Wow. And I, I think I've told the story before. Forgive me if I have anyone who's listening. But, yeah, I was like, you just smoke it with the string? He's like, yeah, 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 smoke with, with, with the twine, with the twine. And I was like, okay. And that was, that dude was totally messing with you, man. That was the worst experience of my <laughs> smoking life. And he laughed, and, and he's like, I'll take one, I'll take one. He lit one up in the store, which I don't think was he was supposed to do, but he didn't give a shit, right? And he's, he just smoked it like a champ, man, and I was sitting Florida there dying. The yeah, I know, right? But, uh, yeah, I'm going to open, as soon as I finish my cigarette, I'm going to open up this little Echo Emano, little Dominicana, and we'll see how she rolls, pun intended. It'd be cool if we did a Snakes and Stogies cigar. People do, like, I, we need to. We've been talking about it for years. We have talked about it for a very yeah. long time. Yeah, dude. Even if we got like what three boxes, and just I'm sure I'm sure some of our some of our listeners and friends would buy a whole box. But 
even if we got just a couple boxes and just onesie twosie them, I'm sure people would love it. I do need to get the pre-order thing rolling with the lighters. So of the three designs, number two, which was the one with the Condro on the cigar, was across the board. Really? Most picked, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, man. What's wrong with that? I was hoping for the first one. I was hoping for the crossed snake hooks, man. I thought that was cool as hell. I mean, we could also do that on like the other side of it. I just think it would add a, like a dollar or two to the cost of the lighters. Yeah, we'll just do it with the people want. They voted, you know. Well, what's funny is Anna Maria saw the post and she's like, you guys are making lighters? And I said, yeah, you know, we, we had a lighter run a while ago. She goes, I've never seen it. And I pulled it out of the drawer. Because you never yeah. use it? <laughs> well, you, no, it's because I, uh, you're right. I never use it. You're right. Dude, mine, I carry mine like every day. It's like in my pocket, in my wallet, like with my wallet. And well, I don't want to mess it up, man. It's too pretty. See, I, I'm the opposite. Like I want it. I like that it like gets some usage. Like it gets some miles on it. And like. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like I'm so rough with lighters, throwing them around, banging them around. Well, she's like. I want my own. I was like, you don't smoke. She just doesn't matter. I need to have a snakes and stogies lighter. <laughs> so well, I think that's kind of the fun part of it too, is like if you get one, you get one, and then it's like you're just gonna have to wait until we do another batch of them, and it's like no one knows when that's gonna be. Yeah, exactly. It's been like two, what, two or three years since we did that first run. So yeah, for sure. It's a collector's item, people. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I liked the Condro cigar one. Yeah, it came, it I mean, came out I'm, great. I'm biased. Just, uh, well, I, and I'm biased too. I'm not a Condro guy, you know. So, but it's good. If the people want the Condro, we'll give them the Condro. Because I also figured I could make um, the other, like the third design with the crossed cigars and the snake in the middle. Like that could be a t shirt. Like I could make oh, that sure. a design that's available, you know. Yeah. Um, I still, I haven't even put any of the podcast shirts besides corn stars up on the fulvia site for some reason gotta get on that man i know gotta get on that add it to the the to-do pile what are you drinking is that apple juice no it's iced tea no yeah i do love apple juice it's never enough never enough apple juice yeah we've talked about cigars uh i i just got i don't know exactly what's involved in terms of the actual process of finding someone who's gonna do that because i think a lot of places you just get it like you make a band and then they put it on whatever house blend they just happen to do which are usually like okay smokes well, yeah. I will I will use every venue of I will use every venue in Miami possible to procure us a Snakes and Stogies blend. So it can go with the uh, the future release. Yes, other exactly. than that pairs. Yeah, we well, I briefly talked about that with um with our sponsorship. I briefly talked about it. What did so. you briefly say? I said that we have some collaboration efforts in progress, and hopefully next week, maybe we'll put something together and uh, we'll give people fair notice and uh, announcements will be announced. Dude, I wanted to, to post the pictures I was sent so bad. Oh, yeah? So bad. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I shared it with with the, the 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 group chat and stuff. You know, the little teaser yeah. thing. But yeah, that's it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be great. Now I just slid open this little coffin box, and it smells so good. Oh my god! It, it may actually be a flavored cigar. We're gonna find out. It says natural on the box, but I doubt it. What does it smell like? It has a very sweet smell. Honestly, it's, it smells like um. Uh, it I'm gonna smell butcher like the weed. Does it? No, no, it doesn't smell like weed. It smells like um, the uh, what's the Drew Estate coffee one? Ta- tabuk. Oh, the tabak. Mm-hmm. Tabak. Yeah, yeah. It smells similar to that. Um, it has a flavored cigar hint smell to it. Like it's Maybe very it's, yeah, smelling. it might be infused slightly with something. Yeah. Who knows? But the question is, how am I going to get them out without messing it up? That's the I, problem. I do have to say, was it last week that I smoked that that red meat lovers from yes. Dunbar? Yes. I was I was really disappointed with that. It could have just been that one man. I don't think it was man. I mean, mm. I'll I'll come back to it, but for sixteen dollars. And as much like Saka stuff gets hyped up a lot, and some of it is very solid and warranted, and some of it is is overhyped. <clears throat> These I just I was expecting more. I don't know. It just to me it was like I could have bought a Liga and been happier. Yeah, yeah, you I'm know? with you on that. I'm with it you was. On that. It was okay. See, that's kind of like why I like to tell people these things because it's like I'll spend the money so you don't have to, and I'll tell you, you can buy two of these for the same price as the one. Yeah. As far as like flavor profile and stuff, this just has more going on. Like as dark as that cigar was, it was amazingly mild. I was like really expecting it to to punch me in the face, and I was like I was looking forward to that very much. And I didn't yeah. Have, you know so. I'll have to get one and test it. Um, just to show you guys for scale how small this thing is. I mean, I'm holding it next to my face, but like. I mean, that also may just mean your head is huge. I don't... <laughs> and you can actually see that. So it's it's taper rolled, right? So there's a fat side and a skinny side. And there's a cap. But <laughs> the cap is almost like the just a bit of leaf that they rolled like um like a like you, a like you know a the yeah, well, I was going to say you know the little gr- <laughs> the little red cap that's on the tip of a super glue like a super super glue nozzle the little red cap yeah sure it, you know what I'm talking about like, the, like uh, yeah, yeah 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 like on the so, gorilla glue yeah like on the look oh you okay get, i see you it. Can yeah. see it see like it's got a slight color differential and there's no way i'm cutting this it's it's open-ended so here we go one puff that's enjoy (laughs) take a single dragon it's just gonna disappear that was delicious well floor scraps it is it is it is sweet It is definitely flavored with something, but it's not, it doesn't taste like a black and mild or anything. Um, it's definitely flavored with something. It feels like I'm smoking a blunt. 
it looks like I'm smoking a blunt. In fact, if I did it like this, you would think I was smoking a blunt, but I am not. Um, it's actually really enjoyable. I'm actually kind of annoyed how tiny it is. I wish it was like if I, like if it was I wish it was real. Yeah, I wish it was like a torpedo. If it was like a torpedo, it'd be a great smoke. What a shame. And it's actually, I mean, it's burning quick because it's so small that you get such a such a fast draw. But I bet you, I bet you it's probably a really good tobacco. Probably. The fact that they put some like if they're packed in cedars that already like up from yeah like, cardboard box or something. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's 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 10 little cigars in a cedar coffin that's wrapped in cellophane. And like it's just it's a it's a nice presentation. It's about the size of a pack of cigarettes. I mean, look at it's burning great. Jenkins said looks big enough to me. <laughs> nice. He would. He would, Jenkins. Jenkins is nothing but trouble. <laughs> Patrick says they're made to turn into blunts. I don't think they are, Patrick. I there's not enough leaf here. Oh, I loved that when people would come into the cigar shop. Yeah. Man, what's the best one to to, to put weed in? I mean, there's like literally forty dollar padrone right over there on the shelf, there, buddy. Exactly, and I there's there's honestly not enough tobacco here to roll a blunt. There isn't. I wouldn't know. I mean, it's so tiny. Like, I feel like eventually I'm probably gonna need a roach clip. Yeah, I'd tell people came in and asked that all the time because I'd be like, I don't see what the point was. Like, you're just you're literally buying it for the wrapper, and it's like you're gonna spend ten dollars on the single wrapper. Yeah. Right. Like, why? I don't know. No, whatever. <sighs> but it's good, man. Not, so far, so good. Not a culture I am familiar with. So yeah, not my cup of tea. To maybe each their own. Maybe it's worth it to somebody to do that. I just yeah doesn't add up to me. But seems like a waste of a perfectly good cigar. If you Agreed. ask Smitty. Agreed. And also, I mean, not inhaling cigars like that wouldn't. I can't imagine that would feel good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I won't lie. The size of this thing, it makes me want to, I want to take a drag like a cigarette, but I know if I do, I'll just die. I'll die. Straight to jail. Uh, anything new down yonder? Um, yes, I procured, this past week, I procured several Bufotes Bullingeri, the... I guess we'll call them Egyptian green toad, although it is very variable in its North African Mena region. But I procured several specimens for Billy Hunt and I. Um, I got him 2.3.1, and I got myself 1.1.1. And, uh, dude, they're so much fun. They're so cool looking. They're so variable. The boys are very drab with like some uh, uh, light green flecking on like an orange or not orange, excuse me, on an olive drab base. The girls are just crazy pink hues with, oh, there you go. I, I wish I sent a better picture than that. Well, if I download it, I can zoom in and stuff, but then I have to download yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I sent you that for substrate, but right. actually here, I'll send you. I'll send you some good pictures right now real quick because I have them handy. 
Um, but yeah, they uh, it's something Billy Hunt and I were talking about for a while. And uh, man, I'm, I've been on a toad kick, and why not, right? Totally. They're adorable. Totally. <laughs> so here's three, just to give an idea of the variability. Yeah, and Patrick, I mean, that's what Swisher Sweets and the gas station cigars are pretty much made for. Those are all machine-made. That's what separates that stuff from premium cigars. Premiums are handmade, all tobacco. A lot of the gas stations, quote-unquote, cigars are like some amalgamation of like paper and tobacco and machinery and who knows yeah you know what uh, jeff frederick says that i go herping with nipper once and now i'm a toad freak no no nipper was the uh uh what do you call it the catalyst it was uh man i really want to get in back in the amphibians man i really love toads i really should stop playing with the cane toads in my yard you know what i go on a herping trip puts me over the edge so yes you are correct sir and, and Billy Hunt, he's been a frog guy forever. He just won't admit to it. So he's now just he's closeted. He's a yeah, he's closeted frog guy. So I mean, he's had Pac-Man's, he's had Pixies. Now he's getting into some of the horn stuff and uh, and a couple other species he's picked up along the way. So cornuda and such. So the wrong kind of cornuda, if you ask me. Speaking of toads, woods and forest media in the house. Oh, hey. If you guys haven't checked out Woods and Forests Media, go on YouTube, go on Instagram, check it out. Uh, I think it's PA Woods and Forest Media on Instagram, Woods and Forest Media on uh, YouTube. Some toadastic content of American toads and some northeastern species. Tons of conservation. So yeah, Woods and Forest Media, check it out. Um, Phil is becoming a toad guy. Yes. Uh, yeah. I have that spell out. Not at all. So this one here is actually mine. This is the unknown gender juvenile. It's probably I, I would guess it's probably a year old, maybe a little less. But dude, the red color is just crazy, crazy red color. And yeah, judging look, by the forearms, term. it's a good-looking specimen. Judging by the forearms, I'm thinking it's probably going to be a boy. Those buys and tries, son. I know, right? I look know. at those guns. So we'll see what see what it turns into. And you just happen to like stumble across these online or something? No, no. So like, I would say maybe a year or two ago when I was really hitting the whole Mena region, North Africa, Middle East thing. I stumbled across the Israeli species and dude, I fell in love with them like desert toads, like living in the scorching hot Negev desert that just happens to be near a little stream or like a water source. Um, and then I had done some homework and because they're so variable and they're all over Europe and the Mediterranean, just the same, all that, all the variable green toads as they call them. Um, but I really, really like the 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 Negev locality in that like eastern uh, Near East region, that Israeli South Lebanon, like that phenotype. I really, really like. And then Billy was like, "Hey, man, I've been looking at these desert toads 
underground just got a bunch from egypt and i was like oh my gosh let's go get them let's go enjoy them and dude it took me weeks weeks to get time off from work to just go do it and just time off in life and i finally got a chance this week and they had some screamers man so i just cherry picked a couple here and a couple there and hopefully they do well i haven't tried to feed them yet it's only been a couple days but i'm gonna get bugs tomorrow and go from there so this one these these two here is that same little red one on the right and the one on the left is a is a female and that's typical female um got the the blushing and the orange by the glands and then some some blushing and orange on the hind legs but do those green spots on that on that desert yeah. background like ugh, awesome super stoked for them course i can't again i just i can't just switch between windows instead i have to exit reopen yeah, i like do this you, a lot do you want me to do it no it just takes a minute it's just it, i don't know why stream okay. wouldn't just let you switch like they'll let you do it on tabs and stuff but they won't let you do it on on windows and other yeah things off the uh internet so this one's one of Billy's. This is a more typical looking female. Um, you can see the glands are, are still have that orangish color to them. And then some of the warts in the back have more of an orange tip. But I really like this specimen because there's a lot of white bordering the green. And it really has that rich olive, almost like pond scum green. Yeah. I love it. That army, army camouflage green. Super cool. And uh, it is it is hilarious just because like you look for nuptial glands on or nuptial pads, I should say, on the toes for the males. You look for the, the big Popeye forearms on the males. But then when you're like, I wonder if this is a boy and you pick it up and it's like, Meh. then you, you get your you get your validation, get get your confirmation that it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually my trio. Um, so the, the boys, the green one on the right, the girls, the marbled one in the in the middle and then. The little red one, eh, we'll find out what happens. Oh, I didn't even see that one. Jesus. Yeah. Blending and blending. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> nice. Yeah, man. They're super fun, man. Super duper fun. Aaron wants to know what their mating call sounds like. Um, it's, it is very frog-ish opposed to toad. Um, it's kind of high-pitched. Uh, it has a, it's a long sustained call that can be broken up. Um, there's tons of calls, like h hundreds of them online. Um, actually, if you go on iNaturalist, what I really love is, uh, I guess iNaturalist now, I don't know if it's because they aligned with Frog Alliance or like people are just decided to start uploading frog calls. But if you search for frogs and toads in an area on iNaturalist, you get people that posted just the call and then people can actually verify the grade of the observation by just the call which i thought was super cool so yeah that's uh that's really all it's for me on my end everything else is status quo but uh yeah Patrick says I'm gonna get covered in warts playing with all those toads. That's not how you get warts, Patrick. Spoiler alert, he already is. Oh Jesus. Ugh. And it wasn't from toads. If you know what I mean. 
Oh, Jeff had a good idea. Lord of the Flies toad shirt for Fulvius. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah. So I wonder if I do. Maybe if I upload them as slides. Well, I just, I go to, uh, I open another window with Facebook Messenger. Not not the actual Messenger app, but another window on the um, uh, browser. And then I can just click through each photo if, if, that, if it's giving you shit tonight. So. Okay, yeah, it's gonna... And for those of you who I spoke to about Spadefoots, um, I'm still going to try and find some local Spadefoots to me. There's like three or four pockets that are kind of drying up and... I'm probably going to do some kind of small little vivarium in my bedroom just because the desert room is just way too hot for spadefoots. Um, but I, I think that I'm definitely going to get Eastern Eastern spadefoots and keep them too, just because they're like little aliens, man. They're just, they're just little aliens and I need them in my life. <laughs> Billy Jenkins says Daytona is going to be a hell of a time. Jesus. Come on. Oh, well, how does it put me there? Good Lord. While you do that, is there anything new on your end, Justin? Uh, not particularly. Um, other than next week, because uh, people were like, oh, Thanksgiving's next week. I'm like, no, it's not. And then I looked at the calendar. I was like, oh, my God, it is. Oh, uh, yeah. So I got another week before I start putting stuff into cooling here officially. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, okay. How's the cutting project? Uh, I have not done that in a while because I ran out of pinkies and then my supply from my feeders can slow down because of the heat and stuff too. So, okay. Didn't get as far on that as I would have liked, um, but you did a you did the allotted time. You know what I mean. You did what you planned to do, right? You were just going to go. Longer. I mean, I wanted to go longer if I if I could, but I don't know. I I, I really want to try it with with green trees, and I want to try it with beards and see if the results end up being similar. If for whatever reason uh, they'd be different varying by the species or not so i don't know but we'll see still working on getting those uh baby rhinos switched over okay uh, went to get some rosies the other day and the tank full of rosies had a just massive clump of dead ones just chilling Ooh, yeah so they had a sign on the uh on the tank yesterday day before yesterday that was like under observation. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, and then I tried to get some, I was trying to find some parakeet down uh, at PetSmart while I was there too. Cause I was like, Hey, let's go see if maybe the parakeets there's some feathers or something I can cop to try scenting for this baby chondro. Um, and again, every time I've gone there to look for parakeet down, like that PetSmart keeps their parakeets spotless, which Damn. It's wonderful, but it's also incredibly <laughs> frustrating. Yeah, can't catch a break. Damn it. Yeah. So, 
Well, dude, just have Skylar Millie some feathers. He's got all. He's got the quail. He's got normal chicks. I I don't know. I, someone had tried parakeet. Maybe it was Brahms, and it was like he got very good results from from parakeet. So. Okay, cool. We'll see. Cool. I don't know. I tried chick down. Um, I went and got some some loose feathers from my aunt and uncle's house. They have chickens. I pulled some out of their egg, like their lay boxes and stuff. Tried that yesterday with no no reaction. So it's okay. uh, no. Yeah, Jenkins was supposed to supposed to hook it up, but obviously I'm not gonna be like Jenkins, drop everything. Yeah, yeah. Hunt me down some parakeet down. <laughs> you send you a bunch of frozen parakeets. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bird. Pretty, pretty bird. bird. Pretty bird. Uh real quick, back to the toad. I'm really quiet. Yeah, right. We sold our dead blurred to a blind kid. Harry, I fixed it. Um, back to the toad front, real quick. Uh, Jeff Frederick says ace of spades, spadefoot shirt. Hello. Um Aaron says that you're going to make shirts for Woods and Forest Media. And our good friend Dylan in Reno says that there is two new cryptic toads of Bufo discovered in central Nevada. So that we all got to check out. Thank you, Dylan. You're wonderful. Nice. Yes, uh, I've been in talks with the Woods and Forest folks about some merch. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, toadtastic. I'm loving it. <clears throat> oh, well, cool. Do you want to get into our topic for this evening? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I had something to add, but... Oh, well, no, go on, please. I, I'm blanking on it now. Take a, take, take a moment. I don't know. Talk amongst yourselves. I was actually I was actually hoping Skylar was gonna be here tonight because I'm wearing my Hail the Scales t shirt. I see that. And how's that uh, how's that holding up for you? The hell the hell is it's great, man. I've dude, I've I've worn it to the beach with Anna Maria a bunch of times. I've worn it hiking. I mean, I've washed it a million times. It's awesome. It's holding up good. I mean, the yeah. back the back is a little it's getting a little I don't want to say tacky, but you know what I mean? Like just because it's the back such, is such a larger it's image. Such a large yeah. chunk of ink. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not saying this as a slight to Skylar, but like in general, when I see art with a giant block of white, because that has to have a white underbase on it, otherwise those colors and stuff don't pop, right? Oh, really? So it puts a giant white circle, and then it puts the color on top of that. And when you have a giant amount of ink like that on the top, it there's there's really no avoiding it. I mean, it's it's gonna lay it down. It's gonna feel. It's gonna have a, a hand feel to it that. I don't particularly care for. Yeah. Um, so that you know, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah. Valentine wants to know what's on the Neff front. So I was going to do two Synctus pairings this season. My one girl that I was really hoping because so all my Synctus are proven breeders, but the last three years two girls that are like primo specimens like textbook specimens they just haven't they just have not been interested in that boy i leave the boy in there for like two days and when i check on them the boy is like get me the fuck out of here these ladies are crazy um 
she actually looks really bad and I don't know if she is dehydrated or what. So I actually gave her a humid hide, um, which I, I never do with Neffs just because they're, they're desert geckos, you know? Um, but I gave her a humid hide just to kind of see if maybe that little bit of hydration just help her skin and stuff. Um, but my other girl that has a, a regen tail, that's like that pops out eggs. She looks great. So I'm probably going to chill her, not chill, excuse me. I'm probably going to kill her heat um, maybe first week in December, second week December, and then hopefully around the new year, I'm going to throw the boy in there. Because I live where I live, my gecko schedule is ass backwards, man. Like, I do not pair stuff. I've tried to do it Aussie style, like their season. I've tried to do it our style. Like, I've tried fall. I've tried autumn. I've tried spring and, like, it's it's a pain in my ass because of where I live. And I know there's other Neff guys in Miami that just kill it. They're just like popping out Amy eye left and right. But I just, I can't catch a break, man. Um, and then I also finally feel like my, because I have a, a uh, 1.2 hypo Millie that I've never bred. I've just been raising them up. They're from Leland Ward, DW Gecko, shout out. Um, I feel like the boy's old enough now, so want to throw them all together i'm probably just going to put all three together and just see what happens and go from there so but that's it for nefs this season word word um speaking of uh time out look at that Ooh. Oh yeah. So that yeah. Is that some of that Quinquestriatus? Yes. Some of, some of that Israeli goodness. Mm. Um I actually don't own that bug anymore. I sent you that for the substrate pictures, but uh Oh, I got all excited. I was like, "Oh, yeah, I know, I know. No, no, no bugs for me right now. I want to get another death stalker, man, just to have one, set them up right. Um I feel like I, with a desert room, I owe it to myself to do that. Um I just like I just don't. If I get one bug, I'm gonna get two. If I get two, I'm oh, gonna yeah. get four. Dude, if I get four, I'm gonna get thirty. So like, it. it yep. <sighs> as soon as you open that portal. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, had, you, I had a couple of those. I don't think I ever had. I, had, I didn't have any adults. I had a bunch of slings. Yeah. Well, and and Matt and Jamie gave me a Jordanensis, and dude. I was so mad when that thing died. It shed twice for it. They gave it to me at like, what was it? Maybe fifth or sixth in star. And then it shed twice and rolled. And I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I think I kept it too dry. I do. So. But yeah, I sent you this. So we can come back to this photo later when we talk about what yeah. we talk about. I do not keep millipedes. No, but you know who has been keeping millipedes, believe it or not, and is actually breeding them, you know, without on not on purpose. Hen dog. Hen dog has been putting isopods and millipedes in Mango's room enclosure and native Florida millipedes, and they are breeding and doing a fantastic job. Doing their job. Yeah, man. It's crazy. You see this, you know, 13, 14 foot king cobra, and there's just all these little bugs live in there with him. It's adorable. His, his little bug army. Yeah, a little bug army. Um, yeah, so the sort of 
topic, main topic of discussion this evening is substrates. Yeah. Doesn't sound exciting, but I like talking about substrates. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Some are great. Some are horrible. I figured we'd kind of go through them a little bit. Bill sent a bunch of pictures. Uh, I'm going to attempt to get Spotify going again for me. And, and I think that our best course of action would maybe be to, to go through the different types of biomes. But at the same time, I feel like we should talk about some quarantine setups, some simple setups, um, some very basic sterile setups too. And obviously all of this is going to be species specific. It's going to be biome specific. You know, if you're keeping something that's very tropical, you know, you may not want to just stick it on paper towels, but something else that's more temperate or more arid that may work out great for you. Um, and then I also figured we could touch base on when's an apropos time to convert from a quarantine or a sterile setup to more of a quasi naturalistic with actual mm-hmm. substrate and going to go from there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say exactly what you just said is that it's going to be completely dependent. Like nothing about what we're going to talk about is going to be a one size fits all solution. Um, there's a lot of substrates. There's a lot of variables, not only in the species, there's variables in where you're living, your ambient humidity, your room, the temperatures in and outside of your room. Um, you know, what you're keeping it in, whether it's something glass, like an XO or something plastic, be it a tub or rack. Um, so with that in mind, you know, when we talk about these things, just, uh, think about, you know, think outside the box. Yeah. Think about uh, how it best pertains to your situation. Um, where do you, do you want to start with sort of the quarantine stuff and the Yeah. Yeah. I think that's easiest. Yeah. You want to kick it off? Do you have a, one of your photos lined up or one of my photos I, lined up? I don't, yeah, I've got one. Okay, yeah, let's, let's start there. Um, I feel like a lot of people, especially beginners, it's a good thing to do a simple setup if the species at hand permits it. Um, and I, I actually, for those of you watching, I chose this picture on purpose because it's gross. It is a dirty cage. Um, no, I do not keep my animals like this, but it becomes this very quickly, especially with paper towels. So, especially with babies, especially with babies, yeah, because babies are just pooping machines, Mother right? God. So, and actually, if you look at this photo, you can see there are several spots where the snake has pooped, but the brown paper towels is actually not from poop. That's from that piece of cork that's in there. Yeah, um, and a lot of people get um, what's the word I'm looking for? They get, I don't want to say paranoid, but they are weary that they're not taking good care of their animal because certain features of the of the setup will appear to be dirtier or grosser than they really are, if that makes sense. Dude, if people in Europe saw this picture, they'd probably have an aneurysm. Oh, I know. Well, dude, the internet, like, like I, I have full confidence in my husbandry to, to be able to post this photo. And it's a dirty cage. I'm showing a dirty cage on purpose so people can see what it looks like. But this brown, disgusting, moldy-looking paper towel is only like four days old, 
And all that brown dirt is from that piece of cork bark because every single time the snake slithers over the cork bark, yeah. it's scraping little particles of dirt and bark and soil because I've, I've used that cork in other cages too. And it just looks like hell. But for the sake of the, of the picture, for the sake of this conversation, this is a legitimate simple setup. So we have a tub, excuse me, a plastic tub, with appropriate ventilation, appropriate latches, because this is a venomous snake. Um, I have a very simple black plastic hide cave on one side, essentially the warm side. I have a white water bowl on the uh, cool side, so that way the water doesn't evaporate too quickly. Um, I prefer a white colored water bowl with babies because I can see the funk. I can see if there's mites. I can see if there's any other parasites or, or unmentionables exiting the animal. Um, and it's just, it's just for a clean setup. And I do this with a lot of babies because I want to see and make sure that everything is going good in the beginning. I want to make sure that the humidity levels are right. I can see if the paper towel is too wet. Um, I can see if the paper towel is too dry. I can see if molds growing all of the above. Uh, Brandon Valentine says, do you guys have prefer, uh, preference yes. on paper towels? I don't. <laughs> Smitty, I, go ahead. I do. Okay. So I'm not necessarily like brand specific. I don't go for bounty and I don't go for like the, I used to use the Viva stuff when I was doing Cresteds a lot because I like to, to be, you know, fancy and get the, the fine china of paper towels. Um, now it just has to be the select a sheet, like the select a size, not the full sheet which are like, I guess the, it's a half sheet more or less, but um, like the Walmart brand ones I'm, I'm happy with uh, lately when my parents take a trip out to Sam's, I'll have them pick me out or, you know, pick me up a, a big thing of paper towels, Sam's club, you know, members mark brand. Um, so that's what I use. I, I like something that has a little, a little bit of thickness and absorbency to it, you know, thinner, cheaper, Dollar Tree brand paper towels are, are okay. Not my favorite. You know, I'll use them if I'm in a bind and need something to, to hold me over until I get stocked up. But yeah, uh, I mean, shop towels even. Like, I, I really like those. Those aren't cheap. But Yeah, mechanic cloths, man. Nice and nice and absorbent. Yeah. So I don't have a brand preference. I, if I was a millionaire, I would use shop towels or mechanic cloth for all my simple setups because it is so thick and soft that it has more cushion to it and it's super absorbent for me it doesn't really matter what brand i'm using but i will double if not triple layer the towel because if the animal displaces water and the water bowl overflows it's just that much more to soak up it's also a little cushiony uh, a lot of baby animals they want to hide underneath it they want to move it around they're going to fold it over they're going to they're going to soil it they're and destroy it they're going to destroy it right so even though you may roll your eyes at how many paper towels you wind up going through i prefer to layer at least two or three layers regardless what shape or perforation you're using so he also asked, are you looking at the grip at all so the snakes are not sliding around because Phil's look like the grip would be better than others? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, for the most part, I've noticed between like Bounty and the off-brands and stuff, it's more or less the same pattern. Uh, you know, the shop towel, that would kind of be the only thing that I would not like about it is that there's just not as, it's it's fairly smooth if, if there was any way to describe it. Um, yeah. So... Not as much traction as some of the uh, the sort of normy stuff, but 
Yeah, I mean, this is the same setup that I have for a lot of my quarantine things. Again, I'm with Phil. You know, I like having white paper towel, lighter colored water bowls to be able to see if there's anything going on that, that I wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Uh, and this is how I also usually keep like the baby corns and stuff after they've come out. Um, stuff that I'm, I'm planning to hold back and hold on to long term, I'll go ahead and <clears throat> after their second shed or so, I'll put them on on a on some sort of particulate bedding. Um, but if it's something that I'm planning to move or something that's I don't plan on having long term, then I'll keep them on on paper towel just for the sake of uh, cost wise and easy, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, again, I find myself changing it almost constantly because yeah, baby snakes, man. It's like oh yeah, God, where does it all come from? Yeah. And what I think is interesting about this photo is you guys can see that there's no poop by the hide box and there's no poop on the cork bark and the snake is sitting on the cork bark. So they know that they've soiled it. They know where they're going. I mean, they may not use the same spot over and over again, like a dog or a cat or a pet skunk or something, but they're going to tell you what's what. And if you see that the snake is or the gecko or the lizard or the baby turtle or whatever is not sitting on the paper towel, it's probably an indication that it might be time to change it. Um, Aaron also commented that white paper towels have bleach in them. So I, I, I've i never used a white or or dyed material with amphibians just because I'm paranoid about it leaching out and then soaking it up um but i'm sure if you got like some of the recycled unbleached paper towels i'm sure that would be fine with certain amphibians um and and again if you have a wet paper towel in a deli cup because you're shipping a salamander to someone that's no big deal but for you to keep that amphibian on bleached paper towels i probably wouldn't do it personally so yeah jake was using like the the brown tub liners for a while too i think he he stopped using those just because he got tired of having to cut them the time but yeah you got the ones that were like uh almost like studded uh, it it had like a texture to it it wasn't just smooth paper yeah um, i don't know like he was he was all about that for a while and then he kind of moved away from it and yeah and, and i used um the, the giant like five foot spools of newspaper that they use in the in the actual newspaper print house i used to buy those because we would line the vision cages with it but the problem is is it is not absorbent at all and when you have something like a yeah. large colubrid or a cobra or something dude they mess it up in four minutes yep so yeah but yeah going back to what brandon was saying about the the, the texture of it those paper towels um i think it's bounty i think uh, whatever was on sale um I try not to get stuff that's too abrasive though because it is a baby snake and you know you want somewhat soft that being said i steer away from overly cottony brands like yeah. cottonelle because now you're dealing with uh, microscopic fibers and their little lungs are that much smaller and they're living in it. So if that paper towel is torn or it has fibrous dust particulates in it, I don't want them breathing that in, especially in a confined space like a tub. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like anybody who's taking one of those like Cottonelle paper towels and just not torn it on the perforation, but torn it, te tear it in the middle. 
do it outside in the sun and see all those air particles, those dust particles flying in the air, and you'll be like, wow, I'll never put that in my snake cage ever again. So, Did we have... That's the same one. Did we have another one? Uh, I don't think I sent you another paper towel picture. Okay. Do you want, me, do you want no. me to send you another paper towel picture? No, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, and, and going back to it being species-specific, um, so the picture right there, that was a, a baby puff adder that I have. Um, puff adders are very opportunistic. They live in some lowland swamp areas. They live in deserts. It is very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a very opportunistic species within adaptable. its it's a very adaptable species. So it goes back to what Smitty was saying earlier. It is very species specific. It is very biome specific. If you have an animal that is going to be too dry on just paper towels, then you may want to consider either not using them or maybe wetting them slightly. But now you're having to change them more frequently to I avoid mold. Humid hide is the solution for that. Or, or you give them a humid hide, which is what I was going to say next. So. Yeah. That's what I do for the rhinos because the rhinos are on paper towel currently. Uh, so they have a water bowl and then they have a humid hide and then they have some of that garden sort of fencing wire stuff. Um, and they, I mean, they love those humid hides, man. A lot of the stuff that I've, that I have that has a humid hide, you know, be it corns or, um, Bairds or you know whatever they they use the hell out of those human hides and a lot of them are set up in a in a setup similar to what you're looking at here with with some sort of wood bedding be it aspen or uh pine <clears throat> and um it definitely helps like if you're in the drier times of the year like now um they make a huge difference and i just go to you know dollar tree again get something out of the deli deli cup section Oh yeah, Cut holes in the lids, fill them up with some spag, and they'll be happy campers. You you take a lighter to the hole? Uh, no. Usually, I'll just take a box cutter and on like a paper plate or like a doubled up paper plate, and just cut a square out of it. And I don't, I I make it fairly a decent size. Like it's not a it's not a tiny hole. It's not a huge one, so it, you know at least retains that humidity and stuff in there. But yeah, you know, there's more than enough space for that snake to get in and out without having to really touch the edge or squeeze past the edge or something to yeah. worry about you know with the uh with the geckos when i do my lay boxes i will take a big lighter and very gently very quickly i'll run a, a big lighter around the rim where i cut because it is so sharp and that that just that quick flash of heat will actually melt the the rim of the plastic and kind of round it off um you can also take like a plastic spoon and just rub a plastic spoon on it, a disposable spoon, mm -hmm. and uh, and that way you've you've made it rounded because with the geckos, they're climbing and their skin is very soft, and I just I mm -hmm. get afraid that that sharp jagged plastic where I cut the hole it might may scrape or, or cut them. So I'm a little neurotic in that sense, but but yeah, I do. The well, exact I don't know. Like the, the cups that I use are are those green lidded ones from dollar tree and that that plastic is really thin so it's not it doesn't really have any any rigidity to it to where i'd have to worry about it getting oh, okay it would flex you know, as something it... getting cut it's got enough flex to it yes yeah. you know they're okay. absolutely the cheapest option like they're they're frankly they're they're crap to use them for anything other than a water bowl uh and sometimes i'll use them to ship but a lot of the time the lids don't snap on like super securely yeah um 
I'll get a batch where like the lid won't even, it'll just pop right off. Like it doesn't even stay on. Um, so I use those for water bowls a lot just cause it's nice. You can get a five pack of them for, you know, a dollar 25. Uh, and I use them for humid hides and I use them for, for water bowls and sometimes shipping and they're, they're handy. That's good, man. That's good. Well, you want to talk about this photo here? Yeah. Particulate bedding. Uh, once again, Aspen is is always popular. That's sort of my weapon of choice of the of the particulate beddings. Aspen is is what I provide uh, prefer over over most others. Um, I do use pine, so you go on the internets and you'll see a ton of people screaming about how horrible pine is. Pine's the worst. Never use pine. Pine's bad. You know, blah blah blah. Been using pine now for. probably at least two years and have yet to have a single issue with any of my animals. Um, Excellent. No signs of respiratory problems, no signs of anything works great. Uh, that seems to me to be like one of those things that was an issue 40 years ago and has continued to pervasive. Like people still think that it's as shitty as it was 40 years ago. Um, so do you think that the product has changed in the fact that it is not as dusty or do you think it was just an old wives tale? I think it was an issue 40 years ago because they weren't like things weren't kiln dried the way they are now, or maybe the technology there has gotten better since. And so now like, I don't have to worry about the saps and like none of that pine bedding is sticky. Like I use it for the rodents and stuff too. And I, I don't have any issues there either. Like, even if it gets wet, it doesn't get, it doesn't feel sticky or tacky. There's not like, it's not sappy. It's not, it's not any of that. Um, it's been working great. Like it is still super dusty, uh, especially if you get the tractor supply brand, which is, you know, what I get. Cause that's what I get for rodents. So usually I'll pick up an extra bale uh, for snakes and stuff. If I need to do bedding changes on, on a handful of animals uh, for seven fifty, it's a, it's a big brick. Um, Aspen ain't cheap. So Aspen, you know, I, again, I would prefer to use Aspen cost effectiveness wise Aspen in larger batches is, is expensive compared to pine. Uh, so usually if I'm doing Aspen, I'll just go to Walmart and they have those little smaller bricks for, you know, four fifty. Um, and usually like four of those, I can do a a decent chunk of a rack just with a couple of those. Um, but yeah, tractor supply pine, like I've been using it, no issues. Uh, Chris Montross was the first person to, that was telling me he was using pine. And I thought the same thing. Cause my entire life, it was, you don't use pine, you don't use cedar. And I still definitely won't use cedar and don't recommend cedar. Uh, but pine, you know, been using it, you know, Jake was, was hesitant too, until he, saw that I was keeping stuff on it for a while and, and wasn't having any problems. And it's just like, I don't know. Again, I think it, it goes back to someone had issues 40 years ago or whatever, and it became the gospel in a sense. Um, you know, it's kiln dried and stuff now, and I have yet to have any problems. So. That's good, man. That's good. And I'm with Mike. He doesn't, he doesn't like the shredded Aspen like you have there. I, I also prefer a little, not as fine of a, of a flake. See, I like the fine flake, especially with smaller snakes. Um, 
just because I feel like it's easier for me to spot clean personally. Um, and I, and I'll use that as a segue. So in this photo, you know, you've got the same basic setup, uh, you know, pla black plastic hide box on the hot side, water dish on the cool side. In this case, I'm just using a, a white deli cup because that's just what I had cleaned at the time. But I prefer with uh, a lot of colubrids, especially North American stuff, you know, or snakes that are of a temperate zone, if you will, to have enough particulate bedding to cover the animal should it want to burrow through it, mm -hmm. which almost all of them are going to do in that regard. That being said, a misconception that people have is that, oh, I see a piece of poop on the surface. I'll just spot clean that little clump of, of aspen and I'll just grab it with my hand, take that little clump out and I'm good. Well, not only is there still copious amounts of bacteria around that site, but because the snake has burrowed through the aspen and it is enjoying this light, loomy substrate, it's going to defecate down in there as well. So I always tell people that if you're going to keep a lot of colubrids or a lot of uh, a lot of simple setups with, with aspen or pine or what have you, every time you go to change the water bowl, as long as you don't have a species that's too temperamental in terms of stress, Take the animal out, fluff it, see if there's any poop or like urates underneath in any of those little tunnels and just kind of fluff things up and see. Because not only now are you dispersing some of the bad stuff, but you're also finding the stuff that's underneath the pretty attractive bedding that's on the surface, if that makes sense. Um, I'll also say that if you notice that the bedding is very trampled, meaning it's it's almost kind of settled in itself and it's it's compacted itself, that means that the animal is constantly on top of it, in which case it may be extra funky underneath it. There may be mold, there may be moisture, and you should probably just change it out, in my opinion. Yeah, I've got a few uh, a few corns that I, I definitely need to do for, for complete bedding changes, which I, I usually do full changes probably two or three times a year. Yeah. Some seem to be way worse than others. Like, I've, there's some you know corns younger stuff typically that warrant it way more than the adults but yeah yeah well i feel like a good rule of thumb is uh, if you haven't if you can't it's just like some of the feeding we do if you can't remember the last time you completely changed it it's yeah. probably time to so yeah uh let's see I don't really like. I don't. Have you ever used sandy chip? The really, really no. I never tiny, got behind I mean, it. I never. Yeah, I, it seemed messy to me. I don't. I will say this like though: one step above vermiculite. Yeah, I, I wasn't static I wasn't, and like glitter effect and just. Yeah, and I don't think vermiculite is a good substrate at all. I feel like if you want to add vermiculite to a soil, uh, it will help. But because there are certain things, <clears throat> cough, cough, asbestos, <clears throat> cough, that are still in vermiculite because of what it's actually used for, I don't like to use it as a standard bedding. Oh, dude, I like I don't even like using it for eggs, not just, you know, asbestos stuff aside. Like, it's just messy. It's so messy. I hate it. Yeah, it's um, the messiest. You know, I'm, that's, I'm probably going to end up using that for chondro eggs if if that happens again 
just because the first time incubating chondro eggs over water, I had a really hard time keeping them hydrated. Um, but everyone that I know that has just put them straight in vermiculite and incubated them that way had great hatch rates. Uh, so vermiculite, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring it back, but it's not my first choice just because simply because of how messy it is. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, and since we're on the Sandy Chip topic, I will bring up too is I have experimented with Carefresh. Uh, for those of you who are un, unfamiliar with Carefresh, it is a bedding, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a bedding intended for small pet mammals like hamsters, gerbils, bunny rabbits. It's basically a pulp. It's a pulp. Yeah, it's a it's a paper pulp. Uh, they dye it blue and pink and yellow because, you know, the kid with the hamster wants to have blue bedding, whatever. Um, I feel like it works well with baby colubrids and some baby snakes. But once it gets wet, it retains that moisture and just turns into a soggy mess. Yeah. And it will get funk and mold real quick, in my opinion. So I, I swore by it for a long time. There was a point where I was using it a lot. Um, and yeah, I just kind of moved away from it again because I just like it's absorbent. But the problem is, is it's not like aspen or, or pine where it's going to sort of wick that moisture out. Right. Because of the dryness of it. Um, it does, it just sponges up that moisture and just kind of yeah. retains it and doesn't, doesn't really expel it very well. Agreed. Agreed. Unless you have really good ventilation, which ventilation will save you a lot of headaches, but oh yeah, yeah, I kind of got, I, I fell out of love with the care fresh over time. Agreed. Um, Kasiki asked about Cypress. I love Cypress too. Uh, I actually used Cypress for the rhinos, uh, because it's kind of a happy medium. Like I don't, I can't keep rhinos and I can't keep chondros over aspen or pine. I just, as messy as they are, like chondros, especially when they eat because they're, they're bound and determined to grab food and then sling it all over the place and get it covered in, in bedding if I had it in there with them, um, Cypress is again kind of the best of both worlds because it does retain moisture really well. It is, you know, price wise, it's it's very reasonable. Um, and you can get the the stuff from Lowe's, which is a blend. Uh, my local hardware store has bags that are one hundred percent Cypress, um, which is a little finer of a cut, but it's still nice. Um, there's apparently a big sort of environmental push to move away from Cypress from a lot of like landscaping companies and stuff because they're burning through cypress forests and stuff to to make that stuff so i don't know that's that's a personal dilemma that you have to kind of i guess ask yourself but i like cypress um i have actually considered moving everything over to cypress uh it just it's at least stuff that's on pine or aspen um because I do find that that the aspen and the and the pine shavings like will absolutely zap a water bowl freakishly quick. Like I'll refill a water bowl, and it seems like within you know by the end of the week, it's dry. Like all that all that water and stuff that was in it is gone. Um, it's bizarre. I don't know. So cypress, I don't I don't see that being as much of an issue. But the problem I do have a cypress is in the bag because they sit outside at Lowe's and, and Home Depot and stuff. Uh, day in and day out for God knows how long. Uh, 
uh, it gets really it gets really wet because of all the condensation. So typically what I'll do is I'll put it in a bin and put a fan over it to either pull or push air through it to dry it out some before I actually put it in a tub or something in a rack just because I, I don't want it to be that that wet. Yeah, I fully agree. Cypress looks good. It smells good. Yeah. I don't mind it. I got snakes on it right now. Just got to keep it dry, especially in a, in, a, in a tub setting like a V70. Man, I have seen some respiratory issues from just being too musty in a V70. Yeah, V70s, man. It's like you. It's like a cave. Deeper, farther back you go, the oh yeah, darker and damper it gets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's see. Um. So I guess that can go to puppy pads, kind of being the next. Yeah thing in this sort of category i don't have any pictures of it that's what i keep my chondros on um over time i have found that that is my preferred for older chondros and in, in bigger size enclosures puppy pads are where it's at uh cost wise you can get a you know a bundle of 50 of them for 10 or 12 bucks from walmart um i don't get the ones that are scented they have some that are like lavender scented for whatever reason i don't see how that mixed with dog piss is going to be a very good smell but to each their own um they just they work really well uh i know people have had issues with snakes ingesting them like larger carpets and things like that um i've certainly had chondros grab the mouse and the puppy pad because if you feed chondros and you offer them that that food below them rather than sort of at their level or above them they typically, in their overzealousness, grab that mouse and grab the pad and wrap it. Um, and usually they realize that it's not food and they let go and, you know, whatever. But there have been a few times where people have had chondros, or not chondros, but carpets and some other larger pythons or boas uh, ingest the puppy pad. And then it either throws it up or if they have to go get it surgically removed. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's a possibility with really any substrate you can't really avoid it. The snakes are going to kind of do what they, they want to do. You just got to be mindful of it. But Yeah, I mean, it is a big difference getting a mouthful of dirt or a mouthful of aspen opposed to a puppy pad, which they will continue to consume and slurp down like spaghetti. Yeah. It's yeah. rare, but it happens. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had them. I've had my fuscus do it. I've had carpets do it. But what happens is they almost get stuck in it. So they release their grip mm -hmm. and then they take a second and then they go directly after the dead rat. So, yeah, those have just, I found that those work best for, for chondros. If you're keeping them in, in sort of more simple setups, uh, if I was going to keep a chondro on anything, as far as like a naturalistic bedding, it would probably be Cypress. Yeah. Uh, for the reasons mentioned previously, but I just, I like puppy pads. They usually fit the tubs, the cambros and stuff that I keep mine in perfectly. Um, they're super absorbent. Like they're great at, at their job. Like those things. If if an animal goes to the bathroom on them, like it dries up real quick, and those puppy pads just suck it right up. Um, they just work really well. I like them. I love them. I'm you know, for conjures, I swear by them. That's 
there's people that'll use a third of a roll of paper towels to, to cover a, you know, five foot enclosure or something. It's like, I can do that in two puppy pads and be done. And then they have like a plastic liner in the bottom of it. So that even if they do get soaked, it doesn't seep through, you know, cause it's got yeah. the, sort of the gel absorbent stuff in the pad itself. Um, I just, I like those, you know, I would, I'm not opposed to keeping corns on them or anything like that. Um, they just, for me, that's been the best thing for chondros and keeping yeah. those. And see, I find that something that is semi-arboreal or arboreal, like a carpet or a chondro, the puppy pads work phenomenal. Um, for my water pythons, works phenomenal. Um, I've had issues with colubrids, specifically corns and kings, where the snake goes in between the folded up puppy pad. And obviously the bottom of the puppy pad is a glossy smooth material that is uh to prevent the puppy urine from going through the pad and onto the floor what happens is prevents seepage it prevents the seepage yes the seepage um what happens is the colubrid will soil in between those layers because they think it's like a nice little rock crevice or a crack or something that they're living in. Because it's a colubrid and they have to. Because it's a colubrid and they have to. And what happens no. is nothing absorbs those urates, nothing absorbs that feces, so it just festers there. Um, and that has been an issue for me. So a lot of so if I notice that the snake is constantly in the folds of the pad, I I'll, I won't use that pad with that species personally. No, that makes sense. Um, you know, it's not an issue with chondros because chondros are yeah, exactly rarely under the pad. I had one one male biok that grounded himself a lot, and for the for at first I was freaking out, thinking there was something wrong. Over time, I just realized he's just a, he's a weirdo of a chondro that would just like to hide under the puppy pad. Like that was it. There was no other issues with him. Ate fine, no no problems. He's just a just a strange one. Yeah. Um, and again, that, you know, it, not not a problem. That just goes back to what we were saying earlier of everything we're talking about tonight is not only biome specific, but it's species specific and it's individual animal specific. You know, who'd have thought that Justin was going to have a conjurer that wants to go under the pad? Like, yeah, a, you know, and I did when yeah. I, when I, I think that was the one that I traded for the rat colony and I had to explain to the guy, like this one, Look, like <laughs> not hang out on the perch. Yeah. Don't freak out. It's just what he does. Like that's, that's it. Because if I pulled him out and put him back on the perch, he'd just curl up and, and hang out on the perch, no problem. But for whatever reason, he'd go hang out under that pad a lot. So I was like, okay, whatever. And that's just how he likes to do things. Yep. To each their own. Um, let's see. Um... We going to arid or are we going to go to well, forest? We, let's go to the forest. All right, let's go to the forest. I love this episode. This is so much fun. I'm trying to see. The problem is I can't really see the thumbnails of these pictures because they're so small. So it's hard for me to tell what I'm looking at. That's okay. I mean, if it doesn't, comes up. doesn't help that I'm blind as a fucking bat. When's the last time you went to the eye doctor? Uh, I have an appointment in February, so. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. But I, it's been it's been a solid probably six years. 
Really? Six years? Jesus, boy. My glasses are like falling apart, dude. Till the wheels fall off, right? You're you're getting that age, man, where you're going to have to go every other year. God. Actually, for a while, I I actually liked that 1-800-CONTACTS would force you to get a new prescription because they're like, like, look, it's you're going to you're going to do what we do. Yeah, it's it's like it's been two years. You you should probably get your eyes checked. And then now they do this bullshit test on the app where you you like put the phone across the room and like look at the look at the letters on the phone. It's like, this is not real. This is not good. Uh, I just like this picture. So I. Yeah, so like this this was when I decided that I wanted to do arboreal swamp vipers, and I realized that I'm not cut out for tropical, and we'll just leave it at that. So this is a Cambro tub rack that uh, our good friend Sean made for me that is a, a built-in venomous rack where each individual tub actually has its own locking mechanism. You can actually see the locking mechanism on the, on the shelf above the snake. Um, little push button lock so here we have a swamp snake a mangrove pit viper uh that is in what i would consider a semi-sterile environment because there is a substrate media with a rock water bowl but i do have um david brahms uh the reptile perch excuse me uh pvc perch for the arboreal snake with a fake air fern um i tried no, no mike what's that mike said high blood pressure can affect your eyesight oh there you go mike's right That's the case, and i've had high blood pressure since like the third grade <laughs> so this setup right here was very very difficult to maintain because of poor ventilation on my part and choosing a substrate that i knew would retain humidity for the swamp snake but at the same time, it's too good. And then I got a lot of mold. I got a lot of funk. I got all kinds of stuff growing in there. Um, but this is what I would consider a simple setup, despite having actual dirt in there. Now, the dirt that you see there is um, uh, eco-earth, which is ground up coconut husk. Uh, you can buy it in bricks. You can buy it already you know, loose. I like the compacted bricks because you can buy one brick and it will do, I think it's like one brick is like a five gallon bucket, something yeah, like that. Particular. Yeah. So basically you get a, a, a bucket or a, a plastic tub, you fill it with hot water, you throw the brick in and before you know it, you got a bucket full of dirt. It's super clean. There's no bugs. There's no mold. It's a great, great substrate for stuff that is tropical. However, if it dries out, it is probably the dustiest of all herpetocultural substrate. And staticky. And staticky. It sticks to everything on a static level. Um, it is great with tropical stuff, though, man. It holds moisture so well. It will get soupy and gross if you're not careful. But I do like the eco-earth. So now here's the same stuff, the same eco-earth. Look at that woody. I know. Look at that little guy. So here we have a a underwater source, Millie, the Australian barking gecko. And again, a simple setup. I have a water bowl. I have a a cork flat that she can climb on top of or climb underneath. And you'll notice here, see the the light colored brown? That is 
left on I left it on purpose to to be somewhat dry, but that's the dry coconut fiber right there that Smithy's highlighting with his cursor. Um, with this, I have to constantly spray because they are a more arid species. I don't want it to get too wet, but at the same time, they are microclimate enjoyers. So I want the humidity there. I, I have no problem putting a water bowl in it. This is not a pure desert species, but you'll see how there are darker areas and there are lighter areas. The lighter areas are obviously the drier coconut husk. And as long as I don't have it too dry, I won't have that crazy dustiness to it, but it's going to hold the moisture. It's going to retain the moisture. Now, I will say this with animals like frogs and toads and lizards that you're feeding live insects to. This is the ultimate bedding for insects to reproduce in. So if you find Dubiatabarian and for Dubiatabarian. So if you are a cricket feeder and you feed adult crickets, before you know it, you will have baby crickets in your enclosure. And you'll wonder why. Um, if you feed dubia or discoid roaches, you're going to want to get some kind of container to put those roaches in so that your animal can actually find them. Because the soil is so light and loomy that the minute you throw the roach feeder in there, it's going to burrow right in the dirt and you're never going to see that bug ever again. Um, so like I said, it's very species specific. However, it is a very versatile substrate. It is very cheap. I think a brick of eco earth is like 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll do a five gallon bucket in five minutes, you know. Patrick said a few years back, those bricks had thrips eggs in them. And when expanded, the eggs would hatch and you would have thrips adding boiling water to the bricks kills the eggs. What's a thrip? <laughs> I have, no idea. I have no idea but brandon valentine says that he has it uh dried out for his trephurus uh he sprays it maybe twice a week but he also has a room humidifier gone 24 7 um i would in my room because it is an arid room and i'm trying to keep the humidity out because i live in a friggin swamp um i don't have to do that i could spray this tub as you see it right now it'll stay like that for probably at least two weeks and then i'll probably have to give it a good misting um but that's okay because it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna have its ups and downs and you're gonna have to keep rehydrating it just be mindful of what species you have and if it does get too dry or too dusty then you know you just need to add a little hydration yeah my main complaint with it is because i use that for pretty much every tarantula i kept Right. Um, you know, either that or topsoil, if it was like a haplopelma or something, um, that stuff is awesome. But then if it does dry out and you have to wet it again, it would take a while for that water to actually seep into it. So typically what I would do is, is mix a decent ratio of sand into it just to help it drain itself. Cause a little bit of sand mixed in there, um, even if you layer it and just had like a layer of sand and then another layer of that on top of it just helps it get through to the bottom of it. Uh, Cause like with baby tarantulas and stuff, like I'd have a big pool of water sitting on top of that stuff for a few minutes until it decided to finally drain and tarantulas having lungs on the underside of their body um, doesn't work really well with water. So that was kind of my main complaint is that drainage on that stuff is tough. So you typically, I would add things to it, you know, small rocks or whatever sand to, uh, yeah. to get it to drain quickly. 
So that being said, you you segued to my next thing. I'm I'm so happy you mentioned that. Uh, with certain arid species or grassland species, I will mix a handful of sand in there. However, I don't like it to be more than say one third sand, because what winds up, especially if it's calcium sand, because what winds up happening is the sand itself will retain more humidity than the coconut fiber, believe it or not. And the sand will also retain bacteria way more. So what I've done in the past is I've done a mix of sand and eco-earth and I've compacted it with my hand, very, very compact, right? And then I'll do another loomy layer on top of that. And I'm not using any screen mesh or anything. This isn't bioactive. This is just to, to get the, the, the substrate right. Now, if you have a species that burrows, it may throw all this out the window because the minute the species starts to dig and starts to you know excavate, it's going to mix everything up and throw everything around. But if you have a species of, say, lizard or snake that does not really burrow or does not excavate much, what will happen is that that compaction that you do with your hand, it'll solidify. And then as you add water to the surface, the water will seep in. It'll solidify more. It'll solidify more. It'll solidify more. And eventually, you'll have a very hard, compact soil. And so for my, like my African girdle tail lizards, I will literally take like 500 milliliters of water and I'll flood the cage. And it will retain maybe an inch of water over the entire surface of the enclosure and then slowly drain into the soil. And what that's doing is it's, again, compacting it, but it's also hydrating everything. So instead of just spraying where you may have missed a couple spots or maybe pools in one spot, by doing this compaction with a grassland species or a, or a, a forest species, you're getting a more naturalistic soil displacement if that makes sense i don't know if, if if i'm putting my words together right um but doing that compaction has really helped alleviate some of the stuff that justin was talking about or increase it if that's your desired goal justin was trying to not have standing water with his tarantulas so he mixed in and kept it loomy and kept it fluffy i was trying to keep standing water so i compacted it down um, I'll also say that there's a very, very popular thing right now that I actually like using a lot. It's called jungle mix. So if you ever see the word jungle mix, I'm pretty sure Exoterra may own the rights to the name, but yeah. it's, it's slang used uh, over many, many years. It is a, a hybrid combination of coconut husk fiber like EcoEarth, fur bark, and ground up sphagnum moss. And that is what I use for a lot of my, uh, I don't have many tropical species left, but the handful of tropical species I do have, the chlorecus and such, I like to use that a lot because it will hold the humidity just right for me in my room, but not get soupy like EcoEarth. At the same time, on my fossorial species like the stiletto snakes, I'll use the jungle mix, I'll add in leaf litter, the leaves will stay on the top of the surface of the soil. The bottom will be loomy enough and, and loose enough that the, the snake can burrow through it. However, what happens is the jungle mix almost separates over time. And the larger pieces of fur bark or uh, uh, peat moss or whatever they've mixed in there will slowly start to rise to the surface, providing you're not fluffing it and moving it, right? And now my drainage layer is even better. So the very bottom, the very bottom of the enclosure will have this nice little wetness moisture layer, but then on top where the leaf litter is, it's nice and dry. So now I've actually made like a, a three or four piece hydration biome level 
in a fossorial enclosure for those for that specific type of snake. What are you using for this? Okay, so on the screen is a baby neonate Crotalus uh, uh, lepidus lepidus, the mottled rock rattlesnake. So this is a mix of granite stone from Home Depot, pea gravel, jungle mix, oak leaf, oak leaf litter, and you see those small little circular khaki spheres? That's actually bio balls that are used, uh, bio balls from ZooMed, I think, for a paludarium drainage layer. Mm-hmm. So those are actually ceramic, ceramic pebbles or ceramic balls. And I basically put in my jungle mix, mixed in a handful of sand, mixed in a handful of those bio balls, and then I scattered the granite rock gravel and the pea gravel on top and made my little rock rattlesnake mountainscape. Um, this is the same substrate I use for almost all my rock rattlers. The only ones that I don't use it for are the um, Malurus. I have it slightly different. But again, now I've got great drainage. I've got a way to hold humidity. Um, if I want to flood the cage, it drains real quick, but it keeps the humidity up because those stones, that pea gravel and that granite rock, that's going to dry first. And the snake can always get on top of that if need be, or if it wants to hunker down and, and, and nuzzle, nuzzle itself in between those stones and get more humid, it can. And uh, Brandon says uh, he's in a dry state, so we're opposites. He is a tropical room in a dry state. <laughs> All right, I was waiting for these photos. So the following series of photos are not mine. These are from Kyle Vargas, the Club King. Kyle, if you're listening, please don't be offended. I shared your photos. But Kyle has arguably the nicest vivariums in 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 small scale herpetoculture, in my opinion, uh, uh, there I say it. Um, here we have a <laughs> I mean, Justin, t- take it away, man, because I always get speechless when I see his shit. Yeah, it's uh, some rattlesnakes with some grasses and leaf litter, and looks like some accoutrement of moss and uh. I see some lichen, so maybe there's some rocks with some lichen in there. I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, man. Kyle has Ah. the the (laughs) best. (laughs) What I miss? My pun. Oh, (laughs) that's what you were cracking up over? (laughs) Jesus. Oh, God. Anyway, so yeah, here we have. Um, oh, well, you just closed it. Oh, I'm bringing up another one. Okay, bring up another one. So, to, that might sort of show it better. Yeah. Uh, let's do this one. Yeah, so very, you know, grass heavy, but he's also going for that the the natural look. Yeah. And he's accomplishing it very well. Yeah, so so here you've got a, a banded rock rattlesnake on some 
stone with sand and soil and natural grasses planted. So Kyle has the ability because of the species he keeps are in relatively close proximity to where he lives. He tends to go out to the mountainsides and find natural grasses and natural stone. And he'll actually bring a backpack with him and some, some, some garbage bags and, and gather up some soil from where these snakes actually live. And he'll bring that back into captivity. Um, these are what we aspire as a keeper to do. This is, these pictures are, you know, everyone wants this in their collection. Um, it's very difficult to do. Kyle puts a lot of work into it. Um, he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to substrates and decor and naturalistic in enclosures. I know that he's very, very generous with sharing some of the techniques and some of the tips in which he, you know, arrange, arranges these setups. Um, but I just want to show you how simple you can keep it or how elaborate you can keep it. And although those enclosures look very, very elaborate, they are still simple in nature. He's using one or two different types of soils. He's adding a handful of certain rocks, and then he's adding the grasses to help keep that soil together so that when he does add moisture, whether it be make it rain or mist or what have you, it, it will drain appropriately and stay together appropriately. Here's another banded rock rattlesnake in a more simple setup. Uh, here we see he's got like three or four big rocks, a bunch of leaf litter, some grasses planted, and just enough nooks and crannies for that animal to feel secure and, and be able to do its rock rattler things it does. But at the same time, rock, it's and, roll. rock and roll, it's still maintainable. So very easily he could remove the animal, remove the three rocks that are in there, maybe replant the grass, maybe take out some, some soiled substrate and go from there. Look at those chocolate bands. I know, man, that thing's killer, right? Oof. Yeah. I had, um, I tried out lemongrass in that persinum enclosure and it, it did oh, yeah. really well for a while. It's kind of died off now. Cause I, I kind of neglected it, but, um, it grew in that tank. It took off no problem. So lemongrass, if you can get a hold of it, um, I found it at, I think Lowe's or something for super cheap. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. It might work. It might not. I think it was like three bucks. So not a major investment squandered. Um, nice. And I've done, I've done wheatgrass and wheatgrass was awesome when it died. It looked so good. And the way that I, I actually, I planted my wheatgrass seed in just straight, soaking wet eco-earth no soil no topsoil no fertilizer i did it in my bathroom which was atrocious for my allergies that was a horrible horrible mistake um but the biggest thing with grasses is that they're meant to be grazed so if you are going to keep lemongrass or you're going to keep wheatgrass and you're going to grow it in your enclosure or your vivarium you need to make sure that you're taking scissors and cutting it because just like grasses in a stepland or a grassland environment are being grazed on by herbivores, you need to be the herbivore. You need to cut that grass. Otherwise it's going to get to a certain point. It's going to fall over and it's going to die. And now we get into the desert stuff. We move into Phil's realm. So here we have a horrible, very horrible sand that everyone I know. Has. Here we have a very, very simple sand desert setup. Now, 
here we have a uh, Pilbara knobtail gecko, a Pilbara knobtail, excuse me, Nephris cinctus. This is a female, or is this a female or is this a male? I, I think, have no idea. Scroll over for a second. That's a boy. Okay. That's a gecko, all right. That's a boy. So I keep this setup super simple because this gecko sadly lives in perpetual darkness and he just does his thing. And I like to keep it simple because they are pooping machines and people think, Oh, it's a gecko. How much could I poop? Oh no. They, they poop a lot. And people don't realize how much bacteria is harbored in sand. Um, anyone who's kept, geckos on sand for a very long time knows that if the sand is not maintained appropriately you will develop health issues with your gecko with your bearded dragon with your agamas with whatever sand species you're keeping if you don't maintain the sand appropriately you will have bacteria and 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 health issues to accompany that dirt um with geckos Everyone talks about you can't do sand. They'll eat the sand. They'll get impacted. And everyone says, well, in the wild, they're eating sand. In the wild, they're, they're, they're living in the desert. You know, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, first of all, they know what to do and what not to do. They do. They're animals. They have instincts. In the wild, there are things like leaf litter. There are things like dead grass and stone and rock and pebbles and gravel that will prevent them from ingesting an overabundance of sand. In captivity, we don't always recreate that. However, certain species, they are not consuming that level of sand that we think. That doesn't mean that a bearded dragon can't get impacted. That doesn't mean the leopard gecko can't get impacted. They most definitely can. But it comes down to the species at hand, the individual animal at hand, the individual biome at hand, just like we've been talking about the whole night or this whole episode, I should say, excuse me. Um, with these geckos, I have never, I have not yet, knock on wood, I have not yet had a gecko become impacted from consuming loose sand. I also am very specific in the sand that I use. Now, I have no problem with calcium sand. Everyone talks about how bad calcium sand is. And the, what they're referring to is an old myth that calcium sand is made of calcium. And if they eat it, they'll just, just digest it. We dust the crickets calcium. I like no. the T-Rex blue stuff. Yeah, well, honestly, T-Rex makes some awesome sand. I don't know about the blue, but um, the calcium sand is made from a calcium quartz. And therefore, the actual sand granules are very sharp and jagged. Now, if the animal does consume a mass quantity of that, aside from impaction, it has been known to cause internal damage because it is so jagged and so coarse. However, your lizard has to be eating a lot of friggin' sand to get to that point. Um, I use calcium sand with desert species of snake because I know they're not going to be dive-bombing it like a insect eater. However, uh, this particular photo here, this is actually exoterra super fine sand. The finer the sand, the less chances of internal damage you may incur. But again, it's species-specific. It's individual animal-specific. But what it really comes down to is maintaining the sand. 
if you do not have a sand sifter and you're sifting out the feces and urates on a regular basis, you're going to harbor bacteria. If you leave moisture in any of these microclimates or these little nooks and crannies where moisture wants to be kept and, and, and you want to spray underneath the cork bark and you want to spray underneath the rocks, that's great. But the bacteria is going to fester and you're going to develop health issues. I am very, very keen on changing out sand at least every three months. Now, that does not mean, oh, I only sand sift every three months. No, no. I'm sand sifting at least once a week. However, I'm going to dump all that sand at least every three months. And I know that can be expensive. Uh, you can go longer. You can you not do it at all. It's entirely up to you. You're your own keeper. But for me, because of the experiences that I've had with sand harboring germs, I prefer to dump it at least every three months. I'll get a garbage bag. I will literally just turn the tub or the enclosure upside down. I'll get a, a dustpan and I'll scoop out all the sand with a dustpan. And you don't have to get every single granule. You know what I mean? But the majority of it, you're going to want to discard because of everything that's going to be harbored in that sand. Yeah. I. Uh, the only thing I kept on sand really at least in recent years was was mostly desert scorpions yeah and, and even even them uh, uh people don't realize how much something as simple as a scorpion can can have waste and you'll see the discoloration in the sand you'll see the white streaks of their excrement smeared on the outside of the enclosure um but again just because you have a, a sand enclosure doesn't mean that you're going to fall into all of the folklore that it accompanies it if that makes sense mm -hmm. um you also see that this gecko is sitting on a beautiful rock that is actually not a rock that is actually a piece of cork flat um i like using cork flat in desert enclosures because if i spray the underside it will retain the humidity because it's cork However, the top, it gets super dry, and I'll throw sand on top of it. And if I spray that sand, that sand will, will, will solidify, and it'll turn almost into like a, a, a very soft, stony texture. So I love putting cork in with these desert enclosures because, it, it, first of all, it looks cool. And second of all, it does have that stone texture without being the heavy weight of stone, especially if you're doing racks and tubs because sand is super heavy. I mean, there's probably maybe at least two pounds, if not three pounds of sand in that tub, you know, figure or what, yeah. uh, two inches deep, maybe. That's one of the things I never really liked about it is how heavy it'll make the right. tub. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So there was, there was a few other things I want to talk about sand and now I can't remember. Damn. But like, I always liked the Vita sand. Yeah. Vita sand was good. Uh, yeah. The, the best, the, my two favorite sands are the ones you just saw, which is the Exoterra Superfine and Blue Iguana Calcium Sand. Blue Iguana Calcium Sand is the smoothest. It's the cleanest. It's uh, They do have dyed uh, bags, and I have used the dyed sand from time to time, and, and it doesn't hurt the animal at all. Um, but the biggest thing about the Blue Iguana is because it is made for reptiles by reptile keepers, the blue iguana granulation is supposedly the smoothest. I have not looked at it under a microscope, but from what I've personally experienced, I really like using the blue iguana calcium sand as well as that exoterra super fine sand. 
So sort of combining, I guess, the desert and forest type stuff because I see some some bark there. Yes, yes. And this is actually, uh, I wanted to find a picture of a pygmy rattlesnake enclosure that I had for uh, an example, but this this will do for what I, what I wanted to bring up. So this scorpion is obviously a desert scorpion. Uh, it can take extreme heat. It can take extreme dryness. But in captivity, I don't need to do that. So what I've done is this is a large, uh, what's the big deli? Was it a, an 8-inch or 10-inch? Eight or ten sounds about uh, right. Yeah. So this is a ten inch in diameter deli, and what I've done is I've put about an inch of sand at the bottom, uh, blue iguana calcium sand, and then I've taken a, a cocoa chip, and I've just sprinkled cocoa chip on top. There's a piece of cork that's out of frame of the picture um, that the scorpion can hide underneath or bask on top of, and then I've just threw a handful of damp sphag on top. Now, what I did is I took a handful of sphag, I soaked it full of water under the sink i wrung it all out and i just threw it on top of there if i want to rehydrate it i can always remove the animal because this is obviously a potentially deadly species of animal i can remove the animal and then gather up the pieces of moss and re-soak it with my hand or i can simply just spray it down real quick and that light mist is going to be absorbed into that sphagnum moss mm-hmm and then obviously the cocoa chip will keep some of the two, and then that sand will act to keep it from getting overly wet. Now, I've done a very similar thing with dusky pygmy rattlesnakes, and I don't know if this is indicative of that species or if it's because they are so heavily keeled scaled, but I had a point where I wasn't paying attention, and one pygmy knocked over a water bowl, I guess like it was trying to slither behind it and it just spilled it over whatever shit happens. And what happened was the sand, the calcium sand got too saturated and wet and I didn't dry it out. And then that sand stayed wet for a long time. And then it stuck to the snake. And now I see the snake covered in wet sand mm-hmm. well, you think it's, it's not that big a deal but had i take had i taken the snake out and just washed the snake off everything probably would have been okay and then i could dry out the enclosure but because i didn't the snake developed skin issues and the sand got underneath the scales and then it had a bad shed and then it started to lose weight because it was stressed and then it regurgitated because it was stressed and i wound up making a full recovery but because of my I don't want to say neglect, but for lack of a better word, because of my neglect and not keeping an eye on that wetness and just be like, ah, oh, it's uh, from Florida. It rains every day. They'll be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does rain every day in Florida. And yeah, it would probably be fine if it wasn't in a tub, if it yeah. had better ventilation, if it had a blistering hot sun at noon and a dew point at night. So things like that will be a a major detriment if you're not paying attention and reading your animals mm-hmm. yeah this stuff is it sounds fairly similar to sort of the homemade abg mix that i would put together for things like the percentum and then for dart frogs uh so abg is the atlanta botanical gardens mix um a lot of avaria people use it for for dart frogs and stuff is that layer underneath all the leaf litter um 
you can buy it sort of pre-mixed and made and ready to go. You just got to wet it. It's expensive. I've found that you can make your own and make a lot of it for way cheaper. Um, what I used was like organic topsoil, uh, fine natural lump charcoal that doesn't have any sort of accelerant in it. Um, I'd take a, a decent brick or two of that and hit it with a hammer to really break it up. Mix that in there with the topsoil. Add a little bit of sand for drainage again. I would usually add a cup or two of cypress mulch to add into the mix. Sometimes if I had some extra care fresh, I would actually mix it in there as well, just as something to sort of break down for the plants to sort of feed off of over time. Um, and then I'd add some spag. Um, and I'd mix all that up in like a, you know, a decent sized tub and use that to, to be the, the base for my dart frog tanks and stuff. Um, and I mean, you can, given that topsoil is like $10 for a bag, cypress mulch is, you know, $7 for a big bag, sand is cheap, um, lump charcoal, you can get a, a bag of that for $10 most places. Um, I just found it was way cheaper to, to do that and sort of make my own, and I can add other things to it uh, than, than buying it from... It's kind of like the the stuff that PetSmart sells that has a snake on the bag that's Aspen bedding. That's $20 when you can go around the corner to the small rodent aisle and get a giant brick of it for the same price. It's like just because it says it's for, you know, catered towards X, Y, or Z doesn't necessarily mean that it's the 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 one and only option. Um, bonsai type soil is the way to go now, unless you want wet substrate. Hen dog said. I don't know yeah. what's what's in bonsai soil. I think it's got more fur bark okay. ground in. I think. Yeah. Um, or more orchid bark with fur bark, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I will also note that speaking about like making your own ABG mix. I mean, and Henry knows better than anybody because Henry's made, oh geez, I don't know, probably a hundred gallons of ABG mix over the past year for 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 mango. Um, when you source your charcoal and things like that, you got to wash it because you'll have black dust that you don't want in your enclosure. Um, you'll also need to be very specific as to what it's been touched with. If it has pesticides, if it has soaps on it, if it has anything of the sort, you're going to want to get that off. Um, I will also, going back to sand, is people always say, well, can I use play, uh, play sand, uh, sandbox sand from you know Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever? I have no problem using sandbox sand as long as it is super dry. For whatever reason, play sand soaks up humidity so fast and it just gets funky and has a gross smell to it and you don't want your animal living in that or sitting on that sand so, holds bacteria really well yeah just so well so anytime you buy play sand for an enclosure let's say you're doing a big beer dragon setup or you're doing aki monitors and you say you know what i, I don't want to buy 10 bags of blue iguana at 20 bucks a pop i'll just buy play sand that's cool that's fine just pour it out into a basin let it dry if you want to put it in your oven if you want to set it out in the sun on a hot sunny day 
do that. Just try and get it as dry as possible. I also like to take my sand sifter and sift my sand scoop, my sand sifter through the place sand and see if there's any clumps of stone or clumps of rock or what have you. And you'll also be able to find the moisture just like kitty litter. So the same way that we scoop our sand sift, our, our desert enclosures, like we do kitty litter. If you do that with the play sand, you'll find if there's a wet spot, in which case you could break it up with your hand, maybe put those wet spots on top. So they eventually do dry and kind of go from there. Um, uh, Henry and I had an acquaintance who convinced us to buy silica sand. Now silica sand is very cool. It is the same texture as play sand. It's a little more granulated, but it's made of uh, synthetic silica and it is very absorbent. It doesn't have any dust, but it is very bad if the animal consumes it. And I have seen the same stuff that they have in those little desiccant packets. Exactly. I mean, I don't think it's, it's not exactly the same. I'm sure they put more chemicals in the, in the, in those packets, but but yeah, you can buy silica sand from Home Depot or what have you. I would not recommend that. Do not use that with your animals. Um, I know some of the guys use it for some of the serastes because they like to watch it like burrow in. It makes it it makes it a lot easier for the animal to burrow in the sand. Don't buy that crap. Just buy regular sand. Um, Brandon Valentine wants to know about excavator sand. My next thing I was going to say. Um, did I send the picture of the Gila enclosure? Like a last week or the week before last, maybe? No, no, not that one. My old one. The big no, one. No, I don't think so. Let me try and send that while we're talking about it. Um, Justin, do you have any words about excavator sand before I dive into that? Uh, my only time that I've used that was with dune scorpions, and it was awesome. Because the dune scorpions dug their little tunnels in it, and it held great. But because they were in, like, a critter keeper, you could it was like an ant farm almost. You could see... You know the tunnel and the little hidey hole they made, and yeah, that, that's super pretty cool. cool. That stuff was fun. Um, <clears throat> I never really had much of a use for it outside of that, and I think the only reason I used it for those dune scorpions was because I just happened to have some on hand. I got it with a tank I bought off Craigslist or something, I think. But that was also fifteen years ago or something crazy like that. Oh wow! So well, I like excavator sand. As long as you know its capabilities and its limitations, um, excavator sand, for those of you who don't know, is a clay-based sand produced by Zoomed for the sole purpose of a desert species to burrow and excavate. Um, that being said, while I try and find Smitty this other picture... Um, that being said, it can be very dangerous, especially if the animal ingests a lot of it. So excavator clay is stone rough. It's not as dense. It can be broken with your hand if you're really strong and you squeeze really hard. But when it's wet, it turns into, dare I say, just wet sand. It just feels like wet sand. So you can mold damn near anything you want out of it. And then once it dries, it'll harden into a, a pseudo rock. Um, I was weary about using it with lizard species because if the clay got wet and the lizard put their foot in the wet clay and then it hardened onto a lizard's fingers or digits, it in theory could cut off circulation. Um, 
I have not experienced that. I think it's just me being neurotic. Um, until my most recent endeavor with my Gila monster and it happened and I watched her literally flex her fingers and crack and break the sand off her fingers, which I thought was super cool. Right. Um, so it kind of put my mind at ease, but my theory was also very correct. So I imagine a smaller species that does not have the hand strength of a Gila monster. It may be more serious. Um, However, it is super cool to add to other desert scapes, if that makes sense. Um, trying to find Smitty a picture of the most recent build. So here we have my, my first Gila monster enclosure and all those stone cave rock mound things that you see in the, that's all excavator sand. The rest of it is walnut chip and everyone hates walnut chip. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it harbors bacteria. Oh, if they eat it, they're going to die. It's literally walnut shells ground up in the sand. It is very coarse. It is probably not the best if they eat it, but when it comes down to brass tacks, it is not calcium sand. It is not actual sand. It is walnut. So it will digest way better than a silica-based or rock-based sand, if that makes sense. Um, I like to add walnut chip to other sands to add texture to uh, add dryness um at the time this is all i had and i had a lot of it so it's like ah oh, screw it i'll just fill the whole thing and and after a while i realized that it works really really well it just doesn't quite look as naturalistic as it could um so yeah if you're thinking about using walnut it's great just remember it's uh, what it can do and what it can't do um it is super absorbent however you really should just like any other sand you should remove as much sand as you can as frequently as you can to alleviate any kind of bacteria buildup um trying to find that other photo sorry if i'm rambling everyone um and the excavator clay i think is great providing you're not adding a lot of moisture if you're spraying down your animals enclosure a lot if you're making microclimates with humidity if you're adding sphagnum moss into rock crevices and rock caves i would not use the excavator clay simply because that moisture is going to seep into the clay and could cause issues in one way or another yeah i like his little Chola wood and hide there. Oh yeah, those are those are actually fake. They're actually uh, like a resin cast. Uh. So I can't find the photo, but I sent you a video. So hopefully that plays. It's a video of the new enclosure. <laughs> hopefully my long-winded expl uh, explanation of excavator clay is. Uh, helpful to Brandon in some way. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We we can move on. It's it's sending, but it's not sending. So whatever. No. It's playing that game. Is there anything we may have missed? Have you ever used like uh, Reptichip type? cocoa block kind of stuff i have and i don't prefer it 
I know the boa and python guys love it. It is versatile. It is great. They make a great, like Reptichip is a fantastic product. They really do make a great product. I can't speak highly enough about it. For my room, for my animals, it is not conducive to my desert room. I've I mean, never for, used it. For, for those listening, uh, basically it's, it is coconut shell. It's like cubed. Chopped up and ground up into cubes or chips. And they sell it in a compressed brick. And just like the eco-earth, when you wet it, it expands and turns into a mulch, if you will. Um, it's great if you've got big six-foot enclosures, eight-foot enclosures, and you need to just fill it full of clean, sterile mulch that doesn't have bugs and doesn't have chemicals and doesn't have anything else growing in there, fungi, whatever. Um, but for me and my desert critters, it's, eh, it's, it's too much humidity for me. I don't think it's it's as absorbent as it is made out to be. I feel like when an animal, once it's dry, if an animal soils it, it's going to hold that moisture in a negative way. Um, it does not dry like some of the other mulches where you could spot clean it easily, especially in something like an ARS rack. I know a lot of people use the chip in a ARS type rack and that moisture just settles at the bottom of the plastic and just kind of festers there. So I think it, it all comes down to how often you're spot checking, how often you're cleaning and that kind of thing. And, and how much space you have to fill, you know, it, it fills a lot really quick. It's good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I've never used it. Every time I like when I have seen it in either pet stores or something else, um, I don't know. It always just looks soaked. Like it always looks like it's just been sitting in water and it's always just kind of looked kind of gross to me. But again, having never used it, I don't, I can't really say one way or the other. I'm looking at it right now. I don't know. I just realized that there's the she was the wrong video anyway, so whatever. There's there's a reason it's so popular. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, if you're a boa, if you're a, a boa person, red tail boas, uh, Amazon boas, if you're a, a ball python person, dude, reptid chip, like, shit's great, right? Just be mindful that it will stay funky if not taken care of. I think if it was, if someone, if I had to choose between that and Cypress mulch, I'd still probably end up going with Cypress mulch. Yeah, but I think it also is, it's indicative of the species you're keeping. You, you don't keep, you know, boas like that. You keep. No, but I do think that I can, achieve the, same, I can achieve the same results with Cypress that I could with that. Yeah, probably. I don't know. To each their own, man, right? And price-wise, I mean, it's not even really a contest. Cypress mulch is cheaper. Yeah. If that's what we're basing sort of some of these options on. True. Very true. Because that's, I mean, it's like looking at this, they have that forest floor stuff that Zoomag makes, and I'm pretty sure that's just Cypress mulch. Little little last bag of that's $10. You can get a freaking cubic yard of it for seven dollars at Lowe's. Yeah. Oh, I will say this too. Anybody who gets plantation soil, 
I tried plantation soil as well. From what I've gathered, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, plantation soil is basically eco-earth that's already fluffed up. Yeah. It is super dusty and is solely meant, in my opinion, for stuff like frogs and toads where you're keeping it constantly soaked because the minute it dried out, it was like a dust bowl. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're if you're keeping yeah. fire salamanders or you're keeping uh, Pac-Man frogs, then hell yeah, plantation soil works great um, as long as you're keeping it super saturated. Yeah. I think, I mean, with the majority of, of this stuff, dust is going to be a factor regardless. Like, I don't think you're going to find a substrate that, even if they claim it's dust-free, I've still yet to find a, a particulate substrate that is completely dust-free. No, agreed, agreed. It's just that plantation soil, if you dump it into a bowl and just blow into it, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. It's rough. But, again, I've never used it. I wasn't sure if you had. Um, what about orchid bark? Well, orchid you bark. that by itself, or you always sort of mix that with stuff? I, I always mix it with stuff. I, I'm not a big fan of, like, chippy stuff. I think it looks really good when it's mixed with other things. Um, I've put orchid bark as a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? As a additive to leaf litter for some of the fossorial stuff Mm -hmm. um you know if i throw a bunch of oak leaves in i'll throw orchid bark on top of that as well to kind of trap some of the humidity down um but i don't know when i feel like if i just use orchid bark it looks just like repti chip type stuff and i'm and it's not the aesthetic i'm looking for personally Mm -hmm. a lot of options out there you just got to figure out which one works best for your room and your animals yeah and hey, Ryan Cox into the group. Better late than never. Good to see you, bud. Look at that. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. I'm still uh, team puppy pads when it comes to conjures. I don't know, man. I just like I'm. I've I've come to the conclusion that personally, I think keeping conjures in like a naturalistic or vivaria type thing just doesn't doesn't jive. You prefer just st- sterile? Yeah, I I mean, there are people that keep conjures like that. I mean, the zoos do it, you know, no issue. I just, I, I, I am of the opinion that it's, you're just making things harder for yourself. Well, I do feel like, too, is you live on the coast in the south. You have a natural high humidity. If someone like Brandon, who lives in Arizona, if he wanted to put, a jungle mix type substrate on the bottom and still keep his synthetic perches i imagine that would dynamically increase the humidity and 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 make things slightly better overall he's just gonna have to spot clean and not use the puppy pad or paper towels you know what i mean Uh, yeah most of the time when i see people keeping green trees and like natural setups they have it decked out with like a fucking fogger and they're trying to make it like a jungle, yeah. Jungle, jungle, and it's yeah. Like, if you do any sort of reading on on condors and where they come from, like that ain't that ain't it. Like, right, right. They're not experience. It's not a basin. It's not a northern emerald. Like they're not experiencing the same environment that those things are. It's yeah, agreed. Not nearly as jungly as temperature and and humidity wise as as people think it is. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'll also bring up, you know, Ryan Cox says that, you know, he bets that swag would probably work uh, okay, but the puppy pad just works for him. Um, using sphagnum moss as a complete substrate on its own, obviously it's fantastic for amphibians, providing they don't eat it too much, you know, like a Pac-Man or something. Um, but sphagnum moss is naturally antimicrobial, and I believe it's also antifungal to a certain degree. Um, obviously I would never do this with amphibians. Please pref I'm prefaces this. Don't ever try this with amphibians, but certain species, uh, I've actually soaked my sphagnum moss in chlorhexidine solution just to make sure that there was no bugs, no nothing, because I got it from a shady nursery. You know what I mean? Um, and that in itself, chlorhexidine is antifungal as well. So you're just doubling up. And obviously once it dries, you're gonna have to rehydrate it with water, but Sphagnum moss works great, providing you're keeping it moist. Yeah, uh, Ian Bissell at S and J, when his female chondros are laying, he gives them like he makes their their substrate basically is dry spag, so that they don't have to really worry about figuring out where to lay. They'll just go under the hide that he provides and do it. So nice. Seems to work That's well cool. for him. Yeah, guides them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But I've got uh, like the Jansenai and all the rhinos and the Persinum. Those are all on just straight cypress. Um, if I was going to do a substrate on the chondros, it would be cypress. So, yeah, that's kind of where I land. Is if I'm not using like I use the the pine or aspen for the colubrids, like the the North American stuff, and then Asian stuff would get cypress and conjures would get cypress if i was keeping them on on something so yeah and uh, all my cobras are on cypress uh, mm -hmm. all of them and i keep it super I, it, it's super dry uh, they have a big water bowl they can go in whatever but i don't uh, i don't keep humidity in the cypress just because i don't want it to get funky yeah um, but i will say this if i had like indian cobras or sri lankan cobras or yeah uh, uh Sputatrix or Siemensis or something like that, I would probably do the same thing. And like what Henry and I used to do with the with the Siemensis that we used to keep, uh, we would take a bottle of water and obviously occupy the animal, remove the animal, what have you. And I would just pour in the bottle of water in like the corner of the enclosure. And that way it's flooding the bottom of the cypress, but the mm -hmm. top still dry. And that way, when you put the snake back in or the snake comes out of its trap box or hide or whatever, whatever you're doing, obviously be safe about it. It's a freaking cobra. Um, the top layer is dry where the animal's sitting, but the humidity is there because the bottom layer is, is staying moist. Right. So. Hmm. Well, I think we covered, I had a little list going. We covered pretty much everything I had on it. So excellent. Good stuff. And obviously, everything we talked about tonight, boys and girls, is not the end-all, be-all of substrates. We're always learning. We're always adapting. Always trying to make things more uh, interesting and better for aesthetics, as well as, obviously, the husbandry of the animal. So, Yep, and personal preference. You know, yeah. Everyone's got their, their thing they like to, like to use. So. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I got, uh, man, I can't remember the quart size, but I got really big flat tubs for my field vipers because it's time to upgrade them. And I drilled a bunch of air holes strategically so that I don't die. And, uh, right now they're on just straight 
sand with uh, some rock and a water bowl and a big piece of cork that they can go underneath or sit on top of, um, super dry. Uh, but I leave the water bowl in there so that they really want to drink, they can. I don't think I've ever seen them drink. So I just let it evaporate. When it evaporates, I add more, just kind of like what I do with the subbox. But I decided I'm going to try and add some eco earth to the sand in these bigger tubs just mm-hmm. because I don't know how the airflow is going to be just yet. Um, but I'm going to try and make some video and try and post some. And I got some fake plants I'm going to put in there. And I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. It's all about the dirt, baby. All about the That's dirt. Right. Not all dirts are created equal. Yep. Hmm. Well, this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Get yourself a rack. Get yourself a cage. You like one or the other. Awesome. You like both. Get both. Use the code THN at checkout. Save yourself 10%. If you're in the general southeast region, you can do a pickup option. Save yourself on shipping and just go grab it yourself. Get more bang for your buck if you just go get it. Uh, also, using the code THN at checkout on fullvisapparel.com. That is 15% off just for listeners and viewers like you. Uh, Black Friday is approaching. It's crazy. It's like again, like this month has just flown by. Uh, Is Fulvius Apparel doing a Black Friday sale or a Cyber Monday sale? I'll probably do something through like the weekend. Doesn't have to be one or the other. Cyber Friday, how about that? Black Monday, nice. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but. Uh, check that out. Also, follow me on Facebook and Instagram for that. Stay in the loop. Um, been planning to do some sort of giveaway or something, too, at some point, probably by the time the year is up. Um, but Puget Sound Pythons, check it out. I was just talking to Jeff the other day. They've got a lot of stuff planned as far as pairings and whatnot. So please stay in the loop with that on their Facebook and Instagram page. Go hunt them down on Morph Market and follow them there. Uh, we are going to be back for THP on Thursday. I know I said we were last week and it didn't happen because I had something come up. So I had to, I had to, to kick it down the, down the street a little bit. Um, but we are going to be back Thursday. Andy Middleton is joining us. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, we haven't had Andy on in a while. <clears throat> talking about him. Yeah, he's like, I haven't been on in like two or three years. I'm like, has it really been that long? Doesn't yeah. Seem- it seems like it's been that long, but dude, love that guy, man. Gotta get him. Time on. flies. Yeah, so. you're gonna do a Thanksgiving episode where Jake bases a turkey with his feet. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> Andy gives commentary. If anybody, and if anybody could do that with a turkey, it'd be him. Nice, nice. It's horrible. I want the end of the episode to be all three of you. Andy included, doing your best Julia Child's impression, talking about how to baste a turkey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll see. No promises. You freak. Delicious. Uh, cold-blooded caffeine. Also check them out. Yes. Uh, we will be having hopefully our next episode. We'll yeah, did we solidify with with I Trey? If I think so, 
All right. Maybe? We'll double check. It should be this coming double Monday. Check. This coming uh, Monday, excuse me. Yes. Um check out the link down below if you buy something, be it coffee or coffee making accessories and things like that. Uh, we get a little bit something for it. Nothing crazy, but either way, awesome coffee, awesome products, awesome people. Can't go wrong. Anyway. Thank you. Good night.